Our children uh, have been in Christian school, and I've had people in the church say to me, "That's wrong. Your kids should be in the public school. There should be witnesses to your kids." So. First question I ask them is, okay, if you're saying they should be in the public school to be witnesses to the other kids, show me that that's a biblical worldview starting from the Bible, right? And usually they will bring up something like, well, the Bible says we're to be the salt of the earth. And I'll say, yes, but not only does the Bible say you're to be salt, it says have salt in yourselves. And here's my point: very simple statement: you can't be salt until you have salt. Welcome to the BJU Press Teacher Edition podcast where Christian educators are encouraged and inspired as we bring you interviews, practical ideas, strategies, and answer your questions about teaching in today's culture. And here's your host, Jenny Copeland. Welcome back for part two of our conversation with Dr. Ken Ham about biblical worldview. If you haven't checked out part one, you definitely don't want to miss out on that. So be sure to go back and listen in. We talked about how to understand this present world in regard to a biblical worldview. We also talked about how so many, even in Christian schools, convince themselves that adding God to their thinking is a biblical worldview. And those were just two of the topics we covered. In this episode, we're going to pick up where we left off in talking about Genesis 1 through 11. But before we do, just a quick reminder to visit our website, teacheredictionpodcast.com, and go find us on social media, Teacher Edition Podcast on Facebook and Teacher Edition Pod on Instagram and TikTok. We do love hearing from you, and we really appreciate it when you take time to leave us a rating and a review. Dr. Ham, let's jump back in. So I mentioned that many times when I hear you speak, I have heard you answer difficult questions, even today's difficult questions, with Genesis 1 through 11. So let's bring that into our conversation. How important is Genesis 1 through 11 to a Christian worldview? Well, it's vital. Um, I mean, that's the answer. Because the only way we can have the right way of thinking is by starting from God's word. You know, in the book of Job, you know, who would think that Job had anything to do with developing a Christian worldview? That it does. Because in the book of Job, you know, Job went through all his death uh, and suffering around him. I mean, he lost his children uh, and he ended up with horrible diseases. And we, we know behind the scenes because in God's word, it relates to us what happened there. But and his friends offered him a lot of advice. A lot of it was bad advice. And, and then Job wanted to justify himself before God too. You know, I've been a pretty good person and, you know, followed you. And then God puts a stop to Job and says, Job, and then in chapter 38, 39, 40, 41, leading to 42, do you know this? Do you know that? Do you know this? Do you know that? Do you know this? Do you know that? Do you know this? And Job, in the end, realizes in, in chapter 42, he says, oh, now I see you for who you really are. And I repent in dust and ashes. And he says, you know all things. Then he realized how dare he question God because God is infinite knowledge and wisdom. And that's a point to me that, that's always been with me. My father taught me this. And I don't know, it's, it's always helped me to understand that I know nothing compared to God. Who am I? I could have a million PhDs from Harvard University and still know nothing compared to God. He's infinite knowledge and wisdom. What's it say about Christ in Colossians? It says, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And, you know, I often put it to people, 
uh, like this, you know, um, no matter how much you know, there's an infinite amount more to know, which means no matter how much you know, you don't know how much more there is to know anyway, which means no matter how much you know, you don't know how much you do know or don't know in relation to whatever there is to know, whatever that is, which we don't know, which means we just don't know much at all. And, you know, but that's a point we need to understand is that's why scripture warns that knowledge puffs up because we think we know best and we can tell God what he means. We've got to recognize the Bible is a record of the one who is infinite knowledge and wisdom, and he has given us the key elements that we need to have the right foundation to ensure we have the right way of thinking about everything. That's why all of our thinking in every area starts there. So, you know, when people say, how should I train children? You start from God's word and what God's word says, that that's the foundation, you know. How should I act as a husband and what? Well, we start from God's word. You have to start back in Genesis and the roles God gave to man and woman and, and so on. And then we have to look at well, how sin distorts that and the warnings from God about what, what that will do to our uh, to us because of our own sin nature. Um, even You know, even in regard to the whole gender issue, people say, how do we deal with that? Well, you start from God's word, right? And God created two genders, male and female. But today we have the world saying, but your, your your feelings determine your gender. Your biological sex won't change, but your gender can because of your feelings. Wait a minute, with a biblical worldview, we can explain to our kids, you can't trust your feelings because we have a sin nature, and that's why the Scripture says you need to judge what you believe against God's word uh, because we have that problem. We have a sin nature that, like Cain, God would Cain, don't let that sin nature master over you. He did, and he killed his brother Abel. Don't let our sin nature master over us. You can't trust your feelings. Therefore, you judge what you believe against God's word. Again, that's all Christian worldview. Yeah, I hear it over and over. Go back to God's word. So let's talk about books for a minute. You mentioned this a little bit earlier. So we're a Christian publisher. You're an author many times over. Christian textbooks seem to be a natural fit for Christian schools, but so often that is not the product of choice for Christian schools. Instead, Christian schools are often using secular textbooks, and some even really push back on the idea of having Christian textbooks. What are your thoughts on Christian schools using secular textbooks? You know, it's interesting. Um, we have some friends at a, a, an institution called the Nehemiah Institute, and they actually do research into Christian schools. And their research indicates less than 6% of Christian schools teach a biblical worldview, less than 6%. I would say it's less than that. Uh, that's why, you know, we have our own Christian school, Answers Academy, that teaches a true biblical worldview starting uh, from God's word. See, when people use secular textbooks, they've got this idea that secular sort of neutral. See, I've even had science teachers from Christian schools tell me, look, um, we use a secular science textbook, but where it covers evolution, we make sure we teach the kids about creation. And I say, no, you don't understand. If, if it's a secular textbook, its whole foundation is man's word. It's not God's word. It's not just in the area talking about origins. It's in every area that, that is a secular worldview. Now, it's, it's true that you can distinguish between, and this is where we need to understand, we need to distinguish between observational science and historical science. And so secular textbooks can teach a lot of things that are true, such as, you know, let's dissect an animal and let's describe its physiology and let's look at how a heart works. But that's all observational science using your five senses in the present. 
But nonetheless, it's all within a framework of a secular worldview. Secular means anti-God. Here's what I'd say to those schools. Whenever you use the word secular and you have secular textbooks, just change the word secular to anti-God because it is. There's no neutral position. So what you're telling me is you're using anti-God textbooks in science, anti-God textbooks in history, anti-God textbooks in all these other areas. That's what you're telling me. Stop using the word secular. Use anti-God to really make the point it is not a Christian worldview. And I would say to uh, most Christian schools, you know what would be very interesting, uh, I think, Jenny, to look at most Christian schools and say, where are all the students that came through your schools uh, now? Because the statistics indicate the majority have left church. And you have to ask, ask yourself, why is that? And I'm not blaming the school totally. I mean, a lot of it has to do with parents and churches as well. But I believe there's been a major problem in that most Christian schools haven't taught a true biblical worldview. They've just added God to the secular worldview. And really, it's left that foundation of man's word intact to enable the LGBT movement and so on to come and capture them. So can you tell I'm a very much an advocate of Christian I, school I'm, textbooks? I'm picking up on that. Yes, I'm <laughs> definitely picking up on that. Now, you mentioned evolution. So maybe we can take a little sidetrack there. So a question I've heard many times, and I'm guessing you've heard many more times, is whether or not evolution should be taught to students. So maybe we can sidetrack for just a second. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, definitely. We should be teaching evolution to students. Now, how we teach evolution is a different matter. Of course, you know, if you're a secular reporter, you could take that little sound bite and take it out and just say, Ken Ham said we've got to teach evolution to students. Um, now, what do, I, what do I mean by this? Listen, our kids need to understand a secular worldview, right? So we need to teach them the biblical worldview but they need to understand how those who don't have a biblical worldview think. And so we've got to help them uh, understand when you start with the foundation of man's word, they're going to have a whole way of thinking. We need to understand how they think, what they think, how they interpret evidence, and then we need to counter that and tell you what's wrong with that and point out the inconsistencies and the problems with it and show you how you answer what they're saying. And so, therefore, we do need to be teaching about evolution. In fact, I would say Christian students should know more about evolution than, than the evolutionists. Uh, and and if, you, if you teach it the right way and you teach them all about evolution and its problems and its inconsistencies and the issues and teach science correctly, our students would know more about evolution than the public school students because all, all that happens with them is just indoctrinated to, to think a particular way. You know, they're not taught how to think. They're taught just what to think. We need to teach our students how to think and what to think. It's very different. I know when I was a public school teacher in Australia, I don't know, it seems like millions of years ago, uh, but I would teach my students, even in the public school, what science is, what it isn't, its limitations, uh, difference between observational science, historical science. I would teach them how to think. And what I found was, you know, when they went to other teachers, um, you know, before I sort of started doing that and, 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 you know, gave them some arguments against evolution, they would go to the other teacher and the teacher would just reinterpret the evidence, so to speak, and then they'd come back to me, right? Once I taught them how to think correctly about evidence 
and taught them how to think about science and that sort of thing. Then they would go, and when the other teacher tried to reinterpret the evidence, I'd say, but aren't you doing this? And aren't you starting from here? And, and it isn't that belief, and, and that's not what you observe. And then it wasn't the students that came back to me. It was the teacher, angry at me for, for teaching these students a particular way that questioned the teacher. Uh, so we've got to teach them how to think, but teach them about the secular worldview because they're going to live in this world, right? The broad way is the world. And we're the narrow way within the Broadway. We've got to understand how the people in the Broadway think to know how to counter their arguments. Yeah. So time is getting away from us quickly, but I'd love to, in just our last few minutes here before we wrap up, spend some time just talking about schools. Let's just dig into that topic. I believe we both share a love for education and an urgency in developing Christian worldview in young people. So talk with us about schools. It's obvious you have a heart for Christian education. But why should parents send their children to Christian schools? I mean, seriously, wouldn't it be better for them to just be a witness in a public school? What are your thoughts on that? Well, I hear that argument all the time. And, you know, our children uh, have been in Christian school and I've had people in the church say to me, that's wrong. Your kids should be in the public school. There should be witnesses to your kids. So first question I ask them is, OK, if you're saying they should be in the public school to be witnesses to the other kids, Show me that that's a biblical worldview starting from the Bible, right? So what's your biblical foundation for that or justification? And usually they'll bring up something like, well, the Bible says where to be the salt of the earth. And I'll say, yes, but not only does the Bible say you're to be salt, it says have salt in yourselves. And here's my point, very simple statement. You can't be salt until you have salt. Your children can't be salt until they have salt. And not only that, the Bible has a warning. If the soul's contaminated, it's good for nothing. And as I say to them, look, when your children are born, do they know about the Bible? No. Do they know about uh, God creating? No. Do they, you know, the, the Bible tells us God's made it evidence to all that he's a creator. But how do we know about uh, that from God's word? And how do we know about Adam and Eve from God's word? Do our children know about Adam and Eve? No. The fall of man? No. The judgment of death, no. The flood of Noah's day, no. The tower of Abel, no. The call of Abraham, no. The babe in a major, Jesus on the cross, the resurrection. They don't know any of that. Our job as parents is to pour that salt of biblical truth in. But not only that, in the New Testament, we're warned that the devil's going to use the same method on us as he did on Eve to get us to position of not believing the things of God, which means there's going to be a Genesis 3 attack. And the Genesis 3 attack today to question God's word is aimed at the history in the Bible and particularly Genesis. And they use, you know, things like science and evolution to say the Bible is not true. So we need to be teaching our children foundationally, pouring in the salt of biblical truth, teaching them God's word, but giving them a biblical worldview, equipping them with apologetics answers to defend the Christian faith against the attacks of our day so that they can be salt, so they can be witnesses in the world. And sadly, Jenny, the majority of people in our churches sent their kids to public schools and they were given the wrong foundation. I think they're waking up now seeing how bad they really are. And they've always been secular, which means always been anti-God. And they're now seeing them imposing LGBT and all the rest of it on them. But the number of Generation Z that attend church today is less than 9%. Now, if you go back to the 1700s, 80, 85% of the population went to church. 
Now Generation Z is said to be, by Christian researchers like George Barna, uh, the first post-Christian generation. We have lost it in that generation. That means that those kids, the majority of, of kids from churches that were sent to the public schools have not survived the system. They have not survived the system. We have lost them. Generational loss from the church. Parents need to wake up. We need to say, what does God's word say about how to train children, about how, how to help them be the salt of the earth? And, and what is my role as a teacher or parent? What does God's word say? We've got to start from there, not, oh, this is what you do. You just send your kids to the public schools. No, we shouldn't act like that. So we know that there's public schools and there's Christian schools, but there even seem to be several different types of Christian schools based on their mission. So if you would, share with us what you see are the difference between, say, a discipleship school and an evangelistic school. Certainly there's pros and cons of both, but what are your thoughts on those? Yeah, that's an interesting question because we live in a fallen world and sometimes sometimes it's there's no right or wrong answer in some ways and other times there's consequences no matter what you do that you struggle with. But what I would say is this is that, you know, when you look at this difference, people call them evangelistic schools. What they're saying is we want to tell kids about Jesus. We want them to know God's word. And I understand people's heart in doing that because there's so many lost children out there and they want to impact them. Now, our school, Answers Academy, is what I call a discipleship school, a biblical worldview school. In other words, we see it as coming alongside of parents. Parents are the ones who God entrusted children to, not to the government, to parents, even though even though the President of the United States says teachers own the children. Well, they don't. God owns the children. He entrusted them to parents, and particularly fathers as the spiritual head. And so we see it as coming alongside of parents to help them disciple their children. They have to be intentional about wanting to disciple their children. And so we're very careful who we let into the school. And we also recognize that if you have the wrong sort of students in the school, they can adversely affect the others. So that's the difference. And I understand the heart in those who have an evangelistic school. They want to reach kids for the Lord. But parents need to also be careful that these days, and particularly with what's happening with the LGBT movement, I know of Christian schools that have got trans kids and gay kids, and I've had the other kids come to me and say they're really impacting other kids in the school and leading them astray. There's there's challenges that they're going to have to deal with, and parents need to decide what are they going to do in regard to how their own children are being impacted. Uh, because, you know, Scripture makes it clear in Corinthians, bad company corrupts good character. That's true. So there needs to be very strong discipline and very, you know, there has to be careful lines drawn and so on. And we just decided for our school, it's it's a discipleship school. And that's where we draw the line because we've lost generations of kids. We want to help parents raise up generations that are godly, that can impact the world for the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, Absolutely. So I don't think either of us or any of our listeners can deny or would refute the impact of education on society. We've talked about that even a little bit today. We've seen this through history for good or for evil as children are influenced by those who teach them. So this is a sobering reality for us today as Christian educators who are fighting for the hearts and minds of the young people that God has given us the opportunity to impact. But, you know, ultimately, our influence is just that. It's an opportunity to impact as we partner. The real responsibility lies elsewhere, and you just kind of mentioned that a little bit there. So as we wrap up today's session, 
Talk with us about who ultimately owns children and how that interacts with families and even with us as Christian educators. Well, you know, that's where we need to start from God's word, right, to build our biblical worldview and who owns children. Uh, one of the Bible verses comes to mind is children are an heritage from the Lord. They are a gift from the Lord to us uh, to train. And not only that, if you if you really go back to what is what is the primary importance or one of the primary importances of marriage, when you jump over to Malachi 2, where the prophet was in a situation where there were Israelite men divorcing their wives, they were marrying multiple wives, they were marrying pagan women. It was a mess. And so God, through the prophet, asked the question, why did God make two one? Why did he make them one? It's a reference back to Genesis, and it's a reference back to the one flesh. And, and it's them. They're talking about more than one. It's two. It's a man and a woman. In other words, the question is, why marriage? And the answer is given because he sought from their union, what, in Malachi 2.15, godly offspring, not just offspring, godly offspring. So the purpose of marriage primarily. Now, although we live in a fallen world, some people can't even have offspring because of the, the, the sin has affected things. But what God intended it to be, we ought to produce godly offspring who will marry godly offspring, who produce godly offspring, who marry godly offspring and impact the world uh, for the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, we need to be saying, how do you do that? And all through scripture, we read, the fathers to the children shall make known your truth. Fathers, bring your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. In fact, Psalm 78 is a good one to read. Fathers, teach your children so they'll teach their children. Fathers, teach your children so they'll teach their children and teach their children, the ones yet unborn, that they will know these things. So who is given responsibility for education? Not the government. It's given to the parents, specifically the father as a spiritual head, because children are a gift from the Lord to parents to raise for him. Now, parents can delegate that responsibility, but who are they going to delegate it to? A secular anti-God person in a secular anti-God system or delegate it to a, a Christian person. And that Christian person, like a Christian teacher, should never look on it that they own those children or that those children are theirs, but look on it that we have been delegated responsibility by parents to help disciple these kids for the parents because they own these children, ultimately God, and they're the ones that are responsible. But I need to be responsible before the Lord in helping them in doing this. And that's how I believe we should be looking at this. Yeah. And what a great opportunity we have. So helpful. I'm afraid our time for today is gone. I feel like we could talk about, we've talked a lot, so many different topics, but boy, we could keep on talking about these. Our time is gone, but I do want to just point out to our listeners that they can visit the show notes for this episode and learn more about this topic, as well as about you and the incredible ministry that the Lord has given you. So we've included some helpful links there, as well as um, additional information on your ministry's various attractions and different publications. So listeners, we want to point you there as well. Dr. Ham, it has been such a privilege to talk with you today. What you've shared has just been challenging and encouraging. We need to go back to the Bible, of course, to Genesis 1 through 11. But thank you for your tireless work for the cause of Christ and for being such an example to us. And it's really been an honor to have you as a guest here on the Teacher Edition podcast. Hey, thanks, Jenny. Anytime. I do love talking about this topic. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you were challenged and encouraged as I definitely was. Remember to go to teacheredishonpodcast.com to submit questions for upcoming episodes. 
Of course, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and follow us on social media. Now, it's time to get back to your day. But it's not just any day. Every day in the classroom is your day to impact and inspire through God's power and through His grace working in you. Go do what God has called you to do.